think maybe I want to tell a short story to the children before I get to the sermon. Are you ready for a story, guys? Okay, so this story is about Moses. And what Moses did, at one stage, Moses said to God, God, I can't do all this work alone. This work is too hard for me. And there's millions of people, all these Israelites, and they're complaining all day about no food, and we don't have water, and why is it so hot in the desert? Lord, please, will you help me? And God said, okay, Moses, you're not alone. Get 70 men who don't love money. Because if people love money, they'll do bad things. If, if you can just tell them, do something bad and I'll give you money, they'll do it. So, so God said, get men, they mustn't love money. And they must respect God. They must fear Him and obey Him. And these must be men of wisdom. So bring them to the tent. Because there was a big tent in the desert. And Moses brought 70 men. He called them elders. And they said, let these 70 elders come. So all the men came to the tent. And while they were standing there, all of a sudden, God brings the Holy Spirit on them. And they start speaking. And they start prophesying. And they speak God's word. And maybe some of them even say some things will happen in the future. That happened exactly like that. Because prophecy, you know, can include that. Where you say things about the future and they happen. And then Joshua comes running to Moses. Joshua helped Moses. And he said, Moses, Moses, you must stop these men. There are two men in the camp. They're not part of this group. Their names are Eldad and Medad. Now they're also prophesying, stop them, Moses. And Moses said, why are you jealous, Joshua? Why are you jealous? I wish all God's people will prophesy. I wish the Holy Spirit will come on all God's people. And Joshua felt a bit sheepish. And he just kept quiet. But many, many years later, more than a thousand years later, the Holy Spirit did come. On all God's people. And that's what I'm going to preach about tonight. Okay. Maybe a bit different. I'm going to talk about. We can have it on the screen there. The Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So this is for every believer. If you've got your Bible. Ephesians 5. Verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5. Verse 18. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come to you again, asking the help of the Holy Spirit. How can we hear a sermon on be filled with the Spirit without the help of the Spirit? And I do pray indeed, please do fill us, your children, with the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His glory alone. Amen. So I told you last week about a man... And I went to check the date because I remember dates by sermons. I remember I preached that sermon on that Sunday and that's when that happened. So in 2009, this man came to me and he made an appointment, came to my house, I told you. And he talked to me about, about a second blessing. And I told you last week that is not biblical. There's no such thing as a second blessing. But what the man did say, which I think is right, even though he may have the, didn't use the right words... He said, if we do not have 
a fresh and outpouring of God's Spirit. And he, he said it in this way. He said, call it an outpouring of the Spirit. Call it, call it being filled with the Spirit. Call it baptism of the Spirit. Call it what you want. But if we don't have a powerful work of God's Spirit, people will not be saved. And he's right. Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we will remain baby Christians and drink milk. Lutando, do you still drink milk in a bottle? No. You eat food, you eat meat, right? Because you're, you're becoming a strong boy. And so, if we want to become strong Christians in our spirit, we need the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to answer some questions, but let's read the verse first. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That means loose living. But be filled with the Spirit. So four questions. First question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What is this, be filled with the Spirit? Do Christians have the Holy Spirit already? Yes. Ephesians 1.13 You've already, the moment you believe, Paul says, you've been sealed with the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 30, you've been sealed with the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 22, the Spirit dwells in you. He speaks of the church. We are the temple of God. Romans 8, verse 9 says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. So all Christians have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit by faith in Jesus. Galatians 3, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing in Christ? It's through faith in Christ. And then it says that Jesus died. He, was, he, he became the curse for us. Galatians 3, 13. So that, verse 14, one of the things there, the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles, that the Holy Spirit may come upon them. Be filled with the Spirit. So we do have the Holy Spirit. Yet, anyone who has tasted the water of life they will never want something else. If they've tasted the water of life, they want more. We want more of the Spirit. That is the desire of every believer. So you've got verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit because you've tasted of it. You want Ephesians 1 verse 17. Where the Spirit of wisdom and revelation may come upon you. And you may receive the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. You want Ephesians 3 verse 16 and 17. That you will be strengthened in the inner man. That God would strengthen you according to the riches of His glory with power through this Holy Spirit in the inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Skip to verse 19 of Ephesians 3. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A, a preacher from Wales, Stuart Olliot says, Those who have had life-changing encounters with God in the secret place cannot stay away from that place for long. You want to go back for more. You want to drink from this fountain. Now when I say be filled with the Spirit, I'm going to use Wayne Grudem's illustration. Rulf knows this illustration very well by now. He even prays this way, and it's a good prayer. When we say filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean it's like a glass of water, but it's only half full of water. Can you put more water in the glass if it's half? Can you? Yes, you can make the glass full. That's not what we mean by being filled with the Spirit. We mean like a balloon. If I blow a balloon like this, is that balloon full of air? Can it be fuller? Yes, you can blow it more. It's like lungs. So does a baby, a baby has lungs. 
If a baby is born normal, um, a normal baby, and it breathes, does oxygen fill the baby's lungs? But is, are your lungs fuller of air than the baby's lungs? Yes, why? You've got bigger lungs. Okay, so that baby, lungs are full, but it can be fuller. The capacity can grow. And that's what we mean by being filled with the Spirit. Psalm 119, verse 32 I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Enlarge my capacity, Lord. Fill me. So that's what we want. We want more of the Spirit's influence in our life. The, Spirit must, the Holy Spirit must control my thoughts. He must control my desires. He must control my value, my values. He must control my whole being. That's what we mean by this. Uh, Romans 8 verse 5. The mind that is set on the things of the Spirit. That's what we want. We want Galatians 5. The desires of the Spirit. So you can bear the fruit of the Spirit. So you can walk by the Spirit. Live by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit leads you to live and to walk according to verse 2. Walk in love. And then it skips down in chapter 5 still of Ephesians to verse 8. Where it says walk in the light. Verse 15, walk in wisdom. Chapter 4, verse 1, walk according to this calling. Live as a Christian. Chapter 4, verse 17, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Chapter 2, verse 10, walk in good works. So you want to live your whole life in the Spirit, guiding you how you must walk and live in this life. Do you desire that? If you're a real Christian, that is in your heart. You want that. You want more of the Spirit. You want to obey. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Well, if you want to be more like Jesus, the, the, the mere fact of that desire in you, the mere fact that you even have that desire, shows you are growing spiritually. And God will fulfill that desire. He will give you what you desire. He will fulfill the desires of your heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Second question. What is being filled with the Spirit not? So I just told you what it is. But what is it not? Well, Paul starts in verse 18 by saying, Do not get drunk with wine. And, and in the Greek, it's a very strong negative. It's like he's absolutely forbidding you. And it's an imperative. It's a command. You may not at all as a Christian... Get drunk with wine, he says. That does not fit with a Christian. Very sadly yesterday, when I did the kids club uh, in Kirk Street, there were some adults sitting on the pavement drinking. And they were drunk. And drunk people, they do many stupid things, like fight. And the poor kids were just standing there, looking at these adults shout and fight and swear. Paul says a Christian should never do that. Do not get drunk with wine. That's not fitting for a Christian to do that. And it's not fitting for a Christian leader to do that. Never. Not one of our elders, it may never be said of Yosha, of Rulf, of course, of myself, that we drink too much. 1 Timothy 3 verse 3, an elder must not be a drinker. How can a man who gets drunk lead a church? And then you get these stupid churches that even it's the alcohol church. Have you seen that? That church, 
uh, it was a thing on, on uh, a clip on WhatsApp, and then I checked it. I checked it on the internet. It's real. Where they, that's a thing. They, they drunk, and they drink a lot, and the pastor and the elders, that's part of their service, to get into the spirit. That kind of nonsense. Paul says that is debauchery. That is loose living. And he says it leads to loose living. It leads to a kind of life where you just do all kinds of evil things and wicked things. Literally, the Greek here, when it says debauchery, los bandigheid, the Greek literally says without salvation. You cannot save anything. You are wasting everything. You lose everything if you are drunk. You lose your wine or your beer or whatever you drink. You lose your money. You lose your possessions. You lose your house. You lose your marriage. You lose your children. You lose your job. You lose your health. You lose your dignity because you act like a fool. You lose your reputation. You, you lose your mind because you're not thinking straight. You can't even think straight anymore. You lose self-control. You lose your purity because you now start flirting with women or with men because you're drunk. You lose your health. I already said that. And in the end, you lose your life. And what worse than that? You lose your soul. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 6. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom. Galatians 5. Drunkards, you will not inherit the kingdom, Paul says. Now, all those things that I just mentioned, I got from the book of Proverbs. All those consequences of drunkenness. You see, people who are drunk, they, they are a slave to the bottle. I remember going across the street here. Long ago, there was an ice cream shop, and my friend Seth Myers went with me, my missionary friend. And he invited the man to church, and the man stopped him. He started talking about Jesus, and the man said to Seth, Ah! And he pointed to a big, long-term beer bottle on the cupboard there, and he said, there's my boss. Yeah. Paul says, uh, Jesus says in John 8 verse 34, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So it becomes your boss. You're a slave to it. Paul says that must not be. And the Ephesians saw that many times. The Ephesians saw how all these unbelievers in their city, they, one of the gods they worshipped in, in the ancient world, and also in Ephesus, was called Dionysus. That's the Greek name. The Roman name you might know is Bacchus. So he was the god of wine and pleasure. And they would have these feasts where they have a big party and they drink a lot. And then the woman would, would walk they, they in front leading the procession. And it's a wild drunken party where people are sexually immoral and they're all drunk and they give thanks to this idol of theirs. And Paul says, it's like Paul has got this background and they got the background. You know what happens in your city. Don't be like that. Christians should not be slaves of wine. They should not be slaves of alcohol. Christians must be slaves, and you are a slave already only of one, and one only, and that is Jesus Christ. Romans 1 verse 1, where Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ, or Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, an apostle and servant of Jesus Christ. So don't get drunk with wine. The Holy Spirit must control you, he says in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit must control you, not wine or anything else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, second part, All things are lawful for me. I'm a Christian. But I will not be controlled by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything. I will not be dominated by everything, anything in my life. Now, a question for you. Why does Paul say, do not get drunk with wine? He could have said, do not get drunk with strong drink. Because that's also in the Old Testament. You remember when um, Aaron's sons, they were in the tabernacle 
and they came in and they brought strange fire and God struck them dead. And then maybe they were drunk because then God says to Moses and to Aaron, you shall not come into this tabernacle drunk. You shall not drink wine or strong drink. So he could have said, don't, don't drink strong drink. Why did he say wine? I think there's a reason why he chose wine and not strong drink. It's not that Paul means, don't get drunk with wine. You can get drunk with whiskey or maybe with brandy or gin or beer. Or maybe you can smoke dacha. Or maybe you can use drugs. Or maybe you can uh, just go to the chemist and get addicted to prescription medication. No, that is, that is also forbidden. When he says, don't get drunk with wine, that means do not let anything control you except the Holy Spirit. So why does he mention wine specifically? I think he wants to make a point. In the Old Testament, wine was undiluted. You didn't mix wine with water. Like in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, don't mix wine with water. That's bad wine. Good wine is not mixed. It's undiluted. From the year 125 B.C., you read, for instance, in the book of Maccabees, it's not a biblical book. Whoops, sorry. This one is even tenkak. Yammer. Okay. So, no, now everyone's awake, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, from the year 125 BC, the book of Maccabees, 2 Maccabees 15 verse 39. It's not a Bible book. Please don't think I'm saying that. But it does give you some history, things that happened in the time between the end of the Old Testament, beginning of the New Testament. So in that book, you get an example there where they say that this is a common practice, wine is diluted with water. Like Oros. Do you boys drink Oros? Okay, so do you drink it clean? No, you mix it with water, right? So you put a little bit of Oros, one part of Oros, two parts of water, or one part of Oros, three parts of water. That's exactly what they did with the wine. They did one part of wine, two parts of water, or one part of wine, three parts of water. And then later we find Rabbi Eliezer. This is in the Mishnah. It's like a Jewish writing. In one of the chapters there it says, one of the books and chapters, it says, undiluted wine. If you don't mix it with water, it's too strong. And that Rabbi said, okay, boys, you want to go to the bathroom? All right. Uh, if you come back, please sit at the back so you don't disturb everyone. All right. Okay, so that rabbi said that it's too strong. He will not even pray for God's blessing over wine if it's, if it's not mixed with water. So they mixed it with water. The Greeks did the same. Those are the Jews. The Greeks did exactly the same. I also read some, um, in my research, I read of what the Greeks said about this. They diluted it one to three. So one part of wine and then three parts of water, how they mixed it. So what's the point? How much wine must you drink if you want to get drunk? Lots. So Paul is saying you must drink lots of wine if you want to get drunk. And then the point he tries to make is you must be filled with the Spirit continually. You must be full of the Spirit. You must, I almost want to say, too overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He must take total control of your life. In verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Now, when Paul compares being filled with the Spirit to someone drinking wine and getting drunk, he's not saying you must get spiritually drunk. 
Because there's some people who say that kind of nonsense. It's like, now I'm spiritually drunk. I'm drunk with the Holy Spirit, some people say. You know an Afrikaans song. I won't mention the singer. Because I think a lot of his songs are good. But when he sings that song, he's wrong. Where he says, it's the, it's the champagne of the soul. Get drunk in the spirit. And now you come to a, a gathering. And then they say, oh no, we're drunk with the spirit now. And then people fall over and people start shaking. And people start convulsing. And people start laughing hysterically. And people start talking in gibberish. And then people say, I've just lost control of myself. That is nonsense. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of self-control. Galatians 5 verse 23. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You don't lose control even when the spiritual gifts are used. You do not lose control. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when people speak in different languages, this is the gift of languages or tongues, let it be one or two, at most three, one after the other, and there must be an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, zip your lips. Meaning you can control that. And then he continues and speaks of prophets. If there is prophecy in the church, two, at most three. And then he speaks of a revelation being made and the other stays quiet. And then he says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Meaning you can control your spirit. You say, I must be quiet now. It's not my turn to talk. And he continues and he says, for God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. Not a God of disorder, not chaos and everyone just doing their own thing and falling around and nonsense. Nonsense. This has nothing to do with a kind of quote-unquote spiritual drunkenness. That's exactly what the Jews said when they mocked the apostles and the early Christians. Ah, they filled with wine, they drunk, they filled with new wine. And Peter said, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit who has come upon us. That's why we're speaking in these languages. So what does the illustration mean? Why does Paul compare being filled with the Spirit and someone being drunk? The, the illustration simply means, just like a drunk person is controlled by alcohol, so a Christian must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Third question. How do you become filled with the Spirit? How do you get filled with the Spirit? How does that happen? I remember many years ago, this was in 2008, a pastor said to someone I know, a family member. This family member went to the pastor, and I respect the pastor, but I thought he was wrong in this. So the family member went with a real problem, a deep issue, and said, I've got this problem. Can you help me? And the counsel the pastor gave was, you must read the Bible lots and lots and lots and lots, and you must spend lots of time in prayer. And I thought... That superficial counsel, that's just saying, uh, like, you're in trouble and sing, rejoice in the Lord always. I was wrong and he was right. That is exactly what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to show it to you now from this passage. That's how you become filled with the Spirit. You fill yourself with the Word inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you fill yourself and fill yourself and more and more. I'm going to give you practical examples in a moment. You live the Word. You eat the Word. You drink the Word. You sleep the Word. You swim in the Word. You bathe in the Word. You drench yourself in the Word of God, the Bible. You master the Word and let the Word master you. 
Let the word dwell in you richly. Colossians 3 verse 16, the word of Christ. Let the word dominate your life. Let the word of God control your life. The Holy Spirit will not bless unbiblical thinking, unbiblical desires, unbiblical worldview, way of looking at life. The Holy Spirit blesses His Word and the person who lives according to His Word. So fill yourself with this Word. Blessed is the man you remember Psalm 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the law, law of the Lord. On his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. The leaves are always green, they do not wither. It's got bears fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. You will prosper spiritually. If you in the word. Lots and lots and lots. So if you drink lots of wine. You will be very drunk. If you are in the word much. Lots and lots. You will be controlled by the word. Lots and lots. <laughs> if you drink a little wine. And a little and a little and a little. You will not be very drunk. You will be tipsy. And that is also wrong. Don't be tipsy. You will be silly, but you're not completely drunk that you can't control yourself and drive a car. Although you shouldn't be tipsy, but that will happen with the Bible. If you just take in your little devotional, oh, let me just read my little page and my little prayer at the bottom. It's like drinking a little wine. It's not going to have a great effect. And you will not be controlled by the word greatly and by the spirit. So what you want to do is you want to read the Bible. You want to be filled with, the word, filled with the Word of God? Read your Bible and read lots of it. Deuteronomy 17 verse 19. Every day, often, memorize the Word. Psalm 119 verse 11. Hide it in your heart. Meditate on the Word. Think over every phrase and every truth. Think, pray through it. Psalm 119 Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Study the Word. Ezra 7 verse 10. And then listen to the preaching of the word. Luke 24, verse 27, where the, 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 the disciples on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus explains the word to them. And they say, oh, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up to us the word, when he expounded it, explained it. So what does this look like practically? Well, practically it looks like getting onto the internet tomorrow or tonight. If you haven't done this in your life yet, do it this year. Get onto the internet. Get a read through the Bible in one year program. And you say, but I'm late. It's already the 22nd of January. That's fine. Then you end the 22nd of January next year. But start. So, so get your read through the Bible in a year. It's going to maybe ask you to read three chapters a day. It's not hard to do. You can read two in the morning, one at night. Something of the sort. Or if you want to get Robert Murray McShane... That'll take you through the New Testament twice, Psalms twice, and Old Testament once in a, in a year. So get a read through the Bible. Maybe Bible Project. They've got the videos to show you an overview of e each book. That'll help you. And some other videos to give you teaching. Maybe you want to do more. I remember Martin Holt, the late Martin Holt, challenged us when, we, when I was a 
final year student. He said, men, I want to challenge you. Read 10, 10 chapters a day in the Bible. Maybe you can do five a day. Maybe you want to say, I want to do 10 a day, 8 a day, 15 a day. So take up a challenge. And you do 10 chapters a day. It's not going to be long. You're really going to know. Oh, I know more or less where things are in the Bible. I can find my way around. Toward the end of Martin Old's life, Martin Old's life, think about, must have been about eight years before his death, or seven years, he was doing 20 chapters a day. A year before his death, he was doing 30 chapters a day in the Bible. Soaking himself in the Word of God. So getting to the Word, getting to the Word. Maybe you want to, I've done this in my life, maybe you want to read through a book 30 times. So take, for instance, the book of Philippians. It's four chapters. You read through it today. Tomorrow you do the same. Next day you do the same. You do that for 30 days. Then you move to Colossians. Read through Colossians once, four chapters. For 30 days. Imagine that. And it won't be, it won't be very long. And you'll have read through Paul's letters 30 times. You're going to know your way around in the letters of Paul, the epistles of Paul. Memorize Bible verses. Meditate on Bible verses. Pray Bible verses. Pray the Psalms. I think I'm, I might have prayed through Psalm 119 more than 50 times. Just doing this again and again and again. Again and again and again. You pray a section of the psalm and tomorrow in the next section and when you're done you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. Pray the psalm. Make it your own. Study your Bible. Use the Veritas method. You, many of you were part of the Veritas course. You've got the tools. So go to Paul's letters and start studying the book of Ephesians using that Veritas course. Get an ESV study Bible. Get a MacArthur study Bible. Learn from men. Learn from others who are full of the Word and full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize that. Don't just read theological books. There are many people, they know the Bible, but it's dead. You've read those books, they don't move your heart at all. And then I read other books. I want to encourage you to read the Puritans. We've got all those little books back there. A lot of them are Puritans. Take one of those books, Spurgeon. And you read some of those books. Those books will warm your heart because those men were full of the Word, full of the Spirit. It wasn't just academic knowledge. In the library, the church library, the prayer room, there are good books you can find. Read the books of John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Thomas Brooks, John Owen. We've got them in Afrikaans, even translated into Afrikaans. We've got Jonathan Edwards in Afrikaans. Little books you can read. Those will really move your heart. Amanda, you've got Ian Murray. Why is Ian Murray, you said it really gripped you. You were so impressed and then you gave back my book and bought your own. <laughs> because it's so moving. Ian Murray goes back to these old men and he gives you meat. And he gives you spirit-filled teachers. So, so read. And some of you might say, but I'm not a reader. I don't enjoy reading. Do the Martin Holt method. He said, take an egg timer. And you read, you set it. Or today you've got cell phones to do that. Only 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes you stop. And tomorrow you do the same. And he told a man in his church that. And that man, after 15 minutes, well, he stopped. And then it went and went. And after two weeks, he said, no, I've said that egg time. It can't just be 15 minutes. I want to read more. I want to learn. I want to grow. I found what helps me. I've said this in a sermon before. I read 
three books at a time, three books at a go. So in the mornings, when I'm doing my quiet time, I read my Bible, I pray, I read a section in the Bible, I pray a section from the Lord's Prayer, and then I read a page and a half in a little book, Puritan paperbacks. Page and a half, and then I read the Bible again and pray, page and a half. Read the Bible, pray, page and a half. I do that in the mornings, I do that in the afternoons or throughout the day when I pray for you guys, and then in the evenings I've just got a book that I read. And I get a lot of reading done that way. John Piper said, you'll be amazed how much you can read in 20-minute segments. 20 minutes in the morning, 20 in the afternoon, 20 in the evening. That's an hour a day. You'll get lots and lots of reading done. And remember, these men, if you read the right men, man, they were filled with the Spirit and the Word. You're going to learn. Now, if you say to me, after all I've just told you, sorry, I'm really not a reader. I struggle. Okay, if you really struggle, then listen. There are audio books, books available, but listen to good preaching. Unfortunately, you can't listen to Spurgeon. Well, some people read his sermons, not the same, because they did. You can't listen to those guys, but listen to John MacArthur. Listen to Steve Lawson, to Alistair Begg, to R.C. Sproul, to Vody Buckham. Listen to Stuart Olliott. Olliott especially. That man is really a spirit-filled man and filled with the Word of God. Listen to the preaching of these men. Oh, listen to Paul Washer. That man is serious about his walk with God. Listen to those men and learn. But, disclaimer, footnote, be careful that you do not idolize these men. They are men. They are human. They are not God. They are not Jesus. So don't make an idol of them like the Corinthians did. I follow Paul. I follow Apostle. Uh, I follow the Apostle uh, Paul. I follow, follow Apollos. I follow Peter or Cephas. Don't follow men. Learn from them, but don't make them your idols. So be careful and test them. They are not infallible. Take your Bible and say, is what he says there true? Test it to the word and see if it is true or not. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. So when you come to God's word in all these different ways to take in the word, come with Isaiah 66 verse 2 in your heart with humility and with trembling. Fear God. Fear the Lord. And come humbly to the Word. Don't come like the liberals. They're critical scholars. They're these liberal people who want to say, this is not true, that is not true, you can accept that, you can't accept that. Don't come to the Word. Don't come to the Word, especially like young apologists. There are young men who like apologetics. That means debating Jehovah's Witnesses and debating Roman Catholics and and debating evolutionists. So they're young men, they like apologetics, and then they come to the Bible with that apologetic mindset to say, what can I get? I want some new weapons to fight my opponents. That's coming to the Bible with the wrong mindset. What's going to happen? You're going to be full of? Not the Holy Spirit, full of? Pride. Because I know more than you. I just tied you up like a goat, said Vodibakum. Now, Paul warns against that in Corinthians. What does it help? You've got all these spiritual gifts and you've got all knowledge, but you do not have love. What does that help you? Or 1 Corinthians 8, what does it help? You've got all this knowledge. We've got this knowledge. Paul says that knowledge just puffs you up. You're just proud about that. You're not serving anyone. You're not helping anyone. So be careful of that. 
What you rather want to do is fill your, fill your heart, fill your mind, fill yourself with a word according to Ephesians 1.17 where you pray and say, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Do Ephesians 6 verse 18 where you pray in the Holy Spirit. You come with that attitude to the word of God. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Psalm 119 verse 18. You come where you abide in Christ and the words of Christ abide in you. And then you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You come with prayer. You come with humility. You come to be led by the Spirit into all the truth. You come bowing the knee to the Word of God. Where you say, I bow before the Lordship of Christ. I bow before the authority of the Word of God. And I come to obey the Word. Not just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word of God. Will you be filled with the Spirit yet? I want to tell you no. I thought so in my preparation. And I spoke to the Lord two days ago. And I said, Lord, I've got this sermon here, but it's, something's missing. What's missing? Yes, come to the Word. Take in the Word. Drink it in. Drink it in. Lots and lots. And pray and pray and pray and ask, Oh God, open my eyes. Teach me. But that's not enough. Something's lacking. What is it, Lord? And the Lord showed me what, is, what it is. Because I thought I can't present this sermon to you. So what's lacking? If you want to be really filled with the Holy Spirit, come with the intention. When you come to the Word and you come prayerfully, come with the intention of having communion with Christ. That's what the Lord showed me. Where is Christ in your sermon? The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. Wants to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So come with the intention of having fellowship. Come and slake your thirst, quench your thirst by drinking the living water that Christ gives. By drinking the new wine that Jesus brings. New wine. Wasn't that the point of the miracle where he turned water into wine? Where he said, I am that new wine. My teaching is that new wine. My death on the cross. Water and blood flowing from his side flowing from the side of Christ. Yes, literally, but also a meaning to it. Not only to show He's really dead, but to show He's the one that cleanses. He's the one that brings the living water. So what is the great question tonight? Is the great question, did you have an experience with the Holy Spirit? Is that the question? That's not the question at all. The real question is, are you filled with Christ and His Word? Then you can say you're filled with the Spirit. Isn't that, isn't that what, what Paul does here when he says, be filled with the Spirit, verse 18? And then you go to Colossians 3.16 that I read, be filled with the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Final question, number four. What does a spirit-filled life look like? We like a fierce we're filled here. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Some people, they think they're filled with the Spirit, but it's just emotions. Well, they got a tingling down their spine, and electricity has gone down my spine, and I've got goosebumps. Now they think they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got this warm feeling in my chest. It means I'm filled with the Spirit. How do you know? Well, this is how you know. 
Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How will you know? What does the next verse say? What does it say? Someone? Are you out there? <laughs> What's proof that you are filled with the Spirit? Your heart is bursting with joy. Your heart is bursting with praise, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Your heart is thankful to God. Thankfulness in your heart to Christ. Colossians 3 verse 16. Be filled with the word. What will be the proof that you're filled with the word? You will burst with praise and thanksgiving. Not like these people did. These people in the city of Ephesus, oh, they were singing songs all right, but hey, those drunken songs, giving praise and thanks to an idol. Paul says, no, our songs are different. What will happen to someone who's really filled with the Spirit? Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. What will happen to such a person? Verse 22, a wife, what does that look like? A wife who is filled with the Holy Spirit. She respects her husband. She submits to her husband. Colossians 3, verse 16, be filled with the word. Let it dwell in you richly. What does that look like in a wife? Verse 18, submits to her husband. Oh, not like these ladies. Not like these ladies, these unbelievers in the city of Ephesus when they had this drunken feast, this wild, sexually immoral party. What did they do? Oh, the ladies took the lead in the procession. Did they submit to their husbands? No, they were drunk and immoral. What does a husband look like who's filled with the Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit, verse 18, verse 25. What does a husband look like? Oh, he loves his wife, sacrificially. He puts her needs ahead of his own. He really cares for his wife. He protects his wife. He sacrifices for his wife. So be filled with the Word, Colossians 3, 16. What does a husband's life look like if he's filled with the Word? Colossians 3, 19. Yes, you're right. He loves his wife. <laughs> what about children? What does a child look like, a child's life, if he's filled or he or she is filled with the Holy Spirit? Chapter 6, verse 1. Obey their parents. They respect their parents. So if you're filled with a word in Colossians 3, 16, what do those kids' lives look like? Colossians 3, verse 20. Yes, they respect their parents. They obey them in everything. For this pleases the Lord. What about parents? Dads? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what will your life look like? Chapter 6, verse 4. You'll raise your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You won't make them angry because you're not involved. You don't care about them. Colossians 3.16, be filled with the Word. Dad, what will your life look like? 3.21. Yes. Okay, you get the picture. And we can go on. Chapter 6, verse 5. People at work. If you're working, you'll be honest. You'll work hard. Not just work when the boss looks. Not just do your homework when the teacher looks. And when the teacher's out of class, you break down the class and throw papers. Huh? Yes, the boys are smiling. They know what I'm talking about. If you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, you do your work. You do it well. You don't cheat. You don't lie. What about the boss? Ephesians 6 verse 9. You treat your workers fairly. Colossians 4 verse 1, if you're filled with the Word, you treat your workers fairly. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? 
be filled with the Word prayerfully to have communion with Christ. That's what we look for. That's what we seek for. So may I, in closing, for the last few minutes, just ask you this question. Does your life look like that? Not perfectly. We're sinners and we confess our sins. We repent. But in general, does your life look like that? Or is your life filled with the singing of God's praises, with worshipping the Lord, with being a thankful person, with respecting your husband, with loving your wife, with disciplining your children and teaching them and loving them, obeying your parents and working as you should? Or are you that kind of person you are always complaining and people avoid you because you're always complaining about something? Complaining about the country, complaining about your circumstances, always fighting in your marriage, always problems or disobedience to parents and parents shouting and screaming at children and breaking them down. And at work, you're taking shortcuts and you're not working as you should. Or at school, taking shortcuts. And you're resisting authority. I will not listen to the teacher. No, ma'am. Or maybe you're even giving some of the people at work extra privileges for a, you know, a little um, under the table, a bribe. What does that say about those people? Why do people act that way? At work, in family, in their lives, they're not filled with the Spirit. It's easy as that. They're not filled with the Word. So what is controlling them? Maybe wine, but maybe something else or someone else. Controlling their hearts. So what you need to do is confess your sin. Because that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's why you don't, you're not aware of His presence in your life. Confess the sin. Get rid of idols. Things you've put ahead of Him and above Him. Bow the knee. Humble yourself before the Lord. Mourn about your sin. And say like David, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Please do not remove the influences of your spirit upon my life. And then a very important thing, become empty. Empty of yourself. Because if you're full of yourself, there's not place to be fulfilled with something else. Empty yourself of yourself. That there will be place for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And the Word of God to fill you. And then become filled with the Spirit according to Ephesians 5.18, Colossians 3, verse 16. And then you can say like Oliver Twist in Charles Dickens's book. When Oliver Twist was in the orphanage and he was really hungry and he had a little bit of pottage mess. And then he came to Mr. Bumble and he said, please, sir, I want some more. And Mr. Bumble said, What? The boy asked for more. And Oliver was in trouble. When you come to God and you say, Please, Father, I want some more. Please, will you fill me with your spirit? Will he be like Mr. Bumble? 
you will be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Luke 11, verse 13. Father, we do pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, increase our capacity, enlarge our hearts, inflate the balloon, inflate our lungs, fill us with the breath of God, fill us with the Holy Spirit, not just a something, a someone, not just a power of God, but a person. Oh, dwell in our hearts and fill our lives. Spirit of the living God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.